Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. James chapter 5. Hallelujah. I want to begin in verse number 13, James 5, beginning in verse number 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now it's the last part of verse 16 that I want to focus on in the first few minutes here. The part that says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. He said, are you suffering? Then pray about it. He also said, pray for one another. When you're going through a difficult time, he said, pray. He said, even when he said, call on the elders to pray and anoint with oil in the name of the Lord. Notice it wasn't the elders that got the prayer answered. He said, the prayer of faith will heal the sick. The prayer of faith will heal the sick. It's not who prays for you that determines faith. It's what you pray that determines whether it's in faith. I can lay hands on you or some other minister can lay hands on you. I don't care who they are. But if without faith on your part, you're not gonna receive your blessing. Amen. It takes, he said, the prayer of faith will heal the sick. Then he said, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. He's telling us that we ought to expect God to answer our prayers. He's telling us that God is not just in the prayer answering business. Like people have said, oh, God's in the prayer answering business. Well, he might be in the prayer answering business, but he's still depending on our faith. Amen. It's the prayer of faith that brings deliverance. But then he says the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available. Notice it's the prayers of the righteous. I said it's the prayers of the righteous. The effective fervent prayer of the righteous makes tremendous power available. That's the way the Amplified Bible reads makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. But you know what hinders a lot of people today? 
when they read verses of scripture like this or when they just pray in general, even if they don't read this uh, particular verse. A lot of people feel like, well, if I, could, if, I, if, if I could just get enough faith, if I could just lay hold of enough faith, if I just had enough faith, but you know, it's not a matter of laying hold of faith as it is using the faith you have. And then people are always looking for somebody else to pray for them. If I could just get Sister Holiness to pray for me. If I could just get, you know, Sister So-and-so or Brother So-and-so because they've got a real intimate walk with God and I know God hears and answers their prayers. And so I need to get them to pray for me. He said, anyone going through a, a, a bad time, let him pray. He said, is anyone merry? Let him sing psalms. If you marry, you know, M-E-R-R-Y, if you were merry, if you were happy, he said the way to express that is to sing. If you were happy and, and, and joyful, you wouldn't go around looking for somebody else to sing for you. Oh, I'm so happy. Why don't you sing a song about how happy I am? No, you sing yourself. Isn't that right? Well, if you have a need, pray yourself. But see, what hinders a lot of people in their praying, and that's why they're, all, they're always looking for somebody else, is because they're not really sure they measure up. Yeah. Sister so-and-so measures up. Oh, she's a wonderful saint of God. Oh, she's got just a close walk with the Lord. You don't know sister so-and-so as well as you think you do. Ask her husband. If she's, also, if she's always sister holiness. Come on now. See, people have this, this complex. If I was only righteous enough, if I was only close enough with the Lord, if I, if I just had a, 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 a more a dedicated life, if I met, what they're saying is, I'm not sure I measure up like I should. So I want to get somebody that I know measures up. Somebody that I know is close to God. Did you know, if we're talking about believers, if we're talking about people who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and have been born again, there's not another Christian on the planet who's closer to God than you are. In, in terms of relationship with God, no other Christian has a closer, more intimate relationship, a more real relationship, a more uh, trusted relationship. Uh, 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 uh. No other Christian has a relationship that's, that would cause God to move on their behalf more than he would on yours. Not another Christian has that. He said the prayers of a righteous man avail much. They make tremendous power available. What he's saying is that righteousness makes a difference. I'm going to say that again. Righteousness makes a difference in your praying. Somebody said, I know that's where my problem is. I'm not quite righteous enough. Well, I want you to notice the next. Now, now, you know, if I'm I just made an example of Brother Doug over here. 
about singing. I wouldn't, I'm talking about the scripture, if any man's merry, let him sing psalms. And then I, I'm, I give an illustration. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give an illustration in, in like a few minutes ago. I wouldn't have turned and given an illustration of a point I made in a message three weeks ago that had nothing to do with this, would I? People say, what in the world is he talking about? I made an illustration of the point that I had just made. Notice he says, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah, so he's given an example of the prayer of a righteous man availing much. He said, Elijah, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. I would say that's a pretty remarkable answer to a prayer. Elijah actually prayed against nature. I mean, that's, just, that's not just pr- praying for, you know, a postage stamp or something. Praying that, that it would not rain, that the heavens would not give rain, and the heavens just dried up. That's amazing. Not just for a day, three and a half years it didn't rain. So I said, well, who in the world would pray such a prayer? Why would you pray that? Well, he did that at the direction of the Lord because because of the nation of Israel. They were in rebellion, they were in sin, and and Ahab was a wicked king, and and this was a a part of God's judgment on the nation that he told them, "If if you transgress my commandments and go after other gods and serve them, and they had done that, they were serving Baal and ser- the, you know, the, the uh, uh, idol Baal and, and so forth, and the whole nation was involved in it. And so uh, by the direction of the Lord, uh, uh, Elijah prayed that it would not rain, and it didn't rain for a three and a half years, 42 months, no rain. Then it says, and he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. If you go back and read the story, he prayed, and within just a few minutes of his praying, the clouds started forming. And almost immediately, there came up a massive flood tide of rain. I would say he's an example of someone whose prayers got answered. I would say that his prayer made tremendous power available. And he's given as an example. He said, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, Elijah. But notice this. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. I think the older King James says, a man, how does that say, honey? With with like passions as ours. He not only had like passions as ours, he yielded those passions every now and then. He he not only had a nature like ours, sometimes he yielded to that nature. Now, Elijah was was a great prophet. We know that. But, you know, Elijah had his good days and he had his bad days. Most of us do too. Even sister holiness. We have our good days, we have our bad days. On his good days, Elijah was, re- was remarkable. You know, he prayed that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years. It didn't rain. During that time, 
he called on on uh, the nation, assembled the nation of Israel together. He said, I want everybody to come together. He said, I want to bring, I want you to bring all the prophets of Baal. There were 450 prophets of this false god, this idol that, that the nation of Israel was worshiping. He said, I want, to, I want you to bring these 450 prophets of Baal and I want you to bring the 400 prophets of, of Asherah, which is another false god that nation was, the Israel was worshiping. He said, I want you to bring them all together and, and we're gonna build a, a sacrifice. And he said, we're gonna pray. I'm gonna let you pray over yours. I'm gonna pray over mine. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So they, the people said, sounds like a good idea. We'll do that. So they, all the people together, gather together. The prophets of Baal, they built this altar and they prayed all day long. And the Bible says that Baal didn't answer. He didn't hear. There was no response, nothing. So they jumped up on top of their altars and they started dancing around, you know, and doing all kinds of things and, and trying to get, you know, God, their God to move. And, and Elijah started mocking them. He said, maybe you need to holler a little louder. Maybe, maybe your God's on vacation. Or maybe he's asleep and you need to wake him up. Holler a little louder. So they hollered a little louder. And this went on and on and on and on until late in the day. Nothing happened. Well, of course nothing happened. God, Baal's not a real God. Asherah's not a real God. So nothing happened. So then Elijah said, okay, I'm gonna build my uh, sacrifice. So he... Uh, brought large stones and wood and had, you know, had them gather all this, build this big, big, big altar, laid the wood on it, put the sacrifice on it, the animal to be sacrificed. But he said, don't put any fire on it. So he built this altar. And then he said, now I want you to bring water. So they brought all these big containers of water and they doused the sacrifice with water. And then he said, do it again. So they doused it again. He said, do it again. And they doused it again. So by this time, the sacrifice was wet, the wood was wet, the stones was wet, and he had built, the stones were wet. He had built a big uh, uh, trench around the uh, around this sacrifice area. And the Bible says the water was so much water that it flowed over and it filled the trench with water. Then Elijah, a righteous man, called on God. He said, God, you're the God who answers by fire. And the Bible says the fire of God came out of heaven, hit that altar, burned up the sacrifice, burned up the wood, burned up the rock, vaporized the entire thing, even burned up the dust on the ground and licked up all the water in the trench. I mean, the, the entire thing was incinerated, vaporized. People all fell on the ground and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So Elijah said, now gather me all these prophets of Baal, 450 prophets. Took them down to the river and killed all of them. Woo, he was a strong man, wasn't he? Man of faith. So he had his good days. But then right after that, right after that, Jezebel, Ahab had married this, this woman, her name was Jezebel, and she was a worshiper of a false god, and she had brought this idolatry into Israel. And so 
when Ahab told his wife Jezebel what Elijah had done to the prophets of, of her God, the prophets of Baal, she said, I'm going to go after him. She said, he's not going to live. He said, before the sun, she said, before the sun goes down, what will happen, what happened to those prophets is going to happen to him. I'm going to take his head off. And it says, Elijah turned and ran. Now he had run before in the power of God. This time he wasn't running in the power of God. He's running from, a, from one woman. He just stood before nine, uh, 850 prophets of, of a false god. And now he's running from one little old woman. And he ran and, and he ran and he finally fell down and he said, God, just kill me. Just take my life. I don't even want to live any longer. I've tried to do what's right started crying, whining. I've tried to do what's right. I've just stood for you and now everybody wants to kill me. Great man of faith. Everybody wants to kill me. It's just not worth it. Just take me home. Just kill me. And I'm the, he said, and everybody has forsaken you and I'm the only one. I'm the only one left that, that cares about you. Among other things, the Lord said, besides uh, by the way, I have 7,000 who haven't bowed their knee to Baal. So you're not the only one. God had to correct him. My point is, Elijah is, is given as an example of a righteous man, but Elijah didn't always act righteous. Elijah's behavior did not always indicate that he was righteous, but the Bible gives him as an example of a righteous man. Well, we need to understand more about what righteousness really is. Amen. Glory to God. Go with me to the book of of, uh, Romans, the first chapter. I want us to read something here. Romans chapter one. Did you have your Bible this morning? You always ought to bring your Bible to church. I see all these churches today that put all, all their Bible scriptures are up on, on uh, uh, you know, video screens. I, I, I thought, why in the world would I want to do that? I want people to bring their Bibles to church. My Lord, I want to give people another excuse for not bringing their Bible or not looking at their Bible, having it always in front of them. I want you to read it in your own Bible. You need to be in the habit of reading your own Bible. Amen. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Glory to God. Verse, chapter one, verse number 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is, that is the God, it, the gospel, is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, that is the gospel, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, when it says that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, he's not saying that the gospel brings a revelation that God is righteous. That's not what that's saying. The fact that God is righteous is obvious. All through the Old Testament and all through the dealings of humanity, Man has always understood that God is righteous. When he said that in the gospel, 
the righteousness of God is revealed. Notice it says, from faith, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, or you could say resulting from faith, and the righteousness of God is revealed to faith or to a greater faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let me read to you a couple of modern translations. Well, that'll make this verse a little simpler to understand. In the 20th century New Testament, it translates this passage of scripture. This is verse number 17 this way. For in it, that is in the gospel, there is a revelation of the divine righteousness, notice, resulting from faith and leading on to faith. Now, another modern translation reads this way. For in the good news, that's another way of saying the gospel, for in the good news, God's way of man's right standing with him is uncovered. The way of faith that leads to greater faith. He's saying that in the gospel, there is a revelation The gospel produces a revelation of the righteousness of God, God's righteousness to man on the basis of his faith and it leads to greater faith. I don't know of another single truth in the Bible that will lead to greater faith more than an understanding or a revelation of God's righteousness imparted to man. When you understand what the Bible says about God's righteousness imparted to man, when you understand what God says about about making us righteous and you lay hold of it, it will build a capacity for faith in your life like nothing else I know of. And not understanding righteousness is a major, if not the greatest hindrance to faith of Christians. Not understanding God's righteousness imparted to us is what causes people to not have confidence in their praying. That's like I said earlier, that's why they're always looking to somebody else. If I can just get some some other person to pray or if I can get a group of people to pray, that would even be better. Listen, all these prayer chains... And, and this idea that, oh, I know God's going to answer because, you know, we've got, we've got this church praying for so-and-so and we shared the prayer request over at this other church and this other church across town and this other church in another county. Oh, we've got six churches praying. They're praying for you, brother. You know what? That doesn't mean a thing. Wish I had a friend in here. I said, that doesn't mean a thing. It's not how many people you get praying for you. It's having confidence. Go with me to 1 John. 1 John, and let's look at the, along about the fifth chapter. Look at the fifth chapter of 1 John. Verse 14, this is 1 John 5, 14. Now, this is the confidence. Did you hear that? For this is the confidence that we have in him, 
that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. This is the confidence, he said. This is the confidence that we have in him. You know, in order to have confidence in God, you've got to have a certain amount of confidence in yourself. I didn't say faith in yourself. That's not what I'm talking about. But if you don't have confidence in your ability to stand before God in prayer, if you don't have faith in your standing in God's presence when you go to him, then you won't have confidence in him that he'll answer your prayer. What do I mean confidence in your standing? Too many Christians, too many Christians go to God sort of with their head tucked down, you know, won't look up. I'm talking figuratively, of course. You know, they're kind of tongue-tied in God's prayer. You ever uh, been seen somebody that was intimidated around somebody else? You know, they can't talk right. Their mouth gets all dry and they stutter and, 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 you know. So many Christians, that's how they approach God in prayer. They're hoping that maybe he'll do something, but then the whole time they're praying, they're thinking about all their failures, every time they've missed it, and, and how that, that surely God is, is a holy God and surely they're not, and, and that, uh, you know, they're not really sure if they ought to even be going to God in prayer. After all, you know, how, how I've lived and what I did last week and how I behaved and so forth. That kind of an attitude robs you of your confidence towards God. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, it says. That means he was just as, uh, he had just as many natural carnal impulses as you have. Amen. He had just as many opportunities to uh, act dishonorably as you do and sometimes he yielded to them. We know that in the scriptures. He wasn't always perfect. And yet his, his, his prayer brought tremendous power available. How is that? He had confidence in his praying. He you don't, when, when it hadn't rained for three and a half years, you don't go to the king and say, uh, I'm getting ready to pray and it's going to rain. And it's going to rain soon. You know, if you pray, if it hadn't rained three and a half years and you pray and then it goes another six months well, and then it rains, well, maybe that was God, maybe it wasn't. But when it hasn't rained for three and a half years and you go to the king and you say, uh, I'm getting ready to pray again and you better, you better get your chariot ready and head out of town and get back to where you're going because you're about to be swept away with a flood. You don't, have, you don't say things like that unless you've got confidence. Bible says he prayed and, and he sent a servant out to look at the sky and the servant came back and said, I don't see anything. He kept praying, he sent him back. Finally, the servant came back and said, I see one little cloud in the sky itty bitty cloud out there about the size of a man's hand. Elijah said, you better get ready. Before anybody could even, before anybody knew what was happening, the clouds gathered 
black and it started storming. Amen. This was a man who had confidence in his ability to get God to move on his behalf. He did it because he understood he was in right standing with God. Amen. What is righteousness? A lot of people have mistaken righteousness with holiness. Righteousness and holiness are not the same thing. Righteousness is the ability to stand in the presence of God as though sin never existed. To stand in the presence of God with no sense of guilt, condemnation, dread, or unworthiness. You could say it like this, righteousness is simply right standing with God. I'm gonna say it again. Righteousness is the ability to stand in the presence of God as though sin never existed. To stand in the presence of God with no sense of guilt, condemnation, dread, or unworthiness. Hallelujah. I want you to go with me to Romans again. We were there in the first chapter. Romans. And... Let me illustrate righteousness like this. In the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, you know the story of of creation. You say, well, is that just a metaphor? Did that actually happen? Yeah, it actually happened. God actually happened. He actually created Adam and Eve just the way he said he did. And when God created Adam, Adam didn't have a past. All of a sudden, he just was. God, God, you know, grabbed the dirt and, and made a man and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Well, at that point, Adam could not have felt any condemnation. He could not had any, have had any sense of guilt, shame, regret, any sense of failure, any sense of having... Uh, ever done anything wrong, he didn't have a past. And he instantly knew God. He was face to face with God. God breathed into his nostrils and gave him life in the first conscious thought and, and, and view that he had. He's face to face with God. That's all he knew. He had complete Uh, boldness or access, sense of access to the presence of God. God was his creator. God was his father. There There could not have been anything between them. Isn't that right? But after, after Adam and Eve sinned and were cast out of the garden, what, what, happened, what happened right after they sinned? The Bible says that, that God came down in the cool of the day and, and he was looking for Adam. He said, well, God, did God not know where he was? Yeah, he knew where he was, but uh, he was looking for him. I've had God ask me questions before. 
That doesn't mean he didn't know the answer. In fact, when God asked me a question, I already know the answer myself. And, uh, but God came down and it says that Adam and Eve, when they heard his voice, they hid themselves in the, among the trees of the garden. Why did they hide themselves? They had sinned and they knew that, that, that they had failed God and so there was dread, there was fear, there was a sense of we have to hide ourselves from this holy God because we've done wrong. That didn't exist in the beginning. That came as a result of sin. It came as a result of, of, of disobeying God. It brought condemnation to them. It brought fear and dread of, of God's presence. And the Bible says that... that uh, God had to take an animal and kill an animal and clothe them with the skin of this animal to cover their nakedness. And that to, to them, that, that signified to mankind that we're not right with God. We, we don't have freedom to just be in the presence of God. We have to have a covering. We have to have something to cover us. And it took the, the blood of an animal that was, a, that was shed and that skin that was put on them. It provided a, an atoning covering for them. And then God drove them from the Garden of Eden and placed angels there at the gate of the Garden of Eden to, to guard the entrance so that man would not come back into the garden and eat of the tree of life and live forever in his fallen state, sinful state. So man... Uh, very quickly in, 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 his, in its history, in, in our history, mankind very quickly learned that we don't have approach to God. We can't approach to God. He's high and holy and we're low and sinful. And we have to have a covering and, we, and, we're, and we're driven from his presence. And all of the Old Testament, all of the law and the sacrifices of the Old Testament uh, reinforced that idea that you just can't come to God any old way you want to. You just can't come to God any time. You have to come through the, uh, through the uh, shedding of the blood of an animal. Well, all of that declared God is righteous and we're not. But I want you to look at, at Romans. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. Romans, again, and let's see. Chapter 3. Let's look at chapter 3. I can get over there real quick. Romans 3. Let's look at verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it's talking about the law of Moses, the law of the Old Testament. We know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world become guilty before God. See, that was the purpose of the law. To show man that, that, that man was unworthy and guilty. Verse 20, therefore by the deeds, excuse me, therefore by the deeds of the law, the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But look at verse 21, but now. 
but now. See, you understand that the books of the Bible were not written in chapter and verse. That man, somewhere down through the centuries, you know, divided the books up in chapter and verse. And sometimes you read it and you wonder, why in the world was it divided where it was divided? And, and I've, I've never studied it out. I don't know why. The I, I only time I think about it is when I'm preaching. If I ever thought about it at home, I'd, I, maybe I'd look into it, but I never have thought about it. But the point is, how, how it's divided in chapter and verse is not the way it was written. If I was trying to organize the book of Romans, all of chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 down to verse 20 would be, would be one segment. Then I'd start 21, chapter 2 or, or section 2. Because really, the entire movement of the book of Romans turns on verse 21. See verse 19, all before that, you notice verse 9 in 10, 11, 12, all have sinned, none righteous, no one seeks after God. They've all turned aside and on and on and on and on. All verses chapter 1, 2, and 3 up until this point just talks about how unworthy man is, how sinful man is, how there is no approach to God. But then in verse 21 it says, but now, oh glory to God. But now, notice, the righteousness of God apart from the law. Or you could say God's way of man's right standing with him. Do you, do you see that? But now, the righteousness of God, and we found out from looking at chapter 1, verse 17, is talking about man's way of being right with God. But now the righteousness of God or man's right standing with God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets even, now notice, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So you know it's not talking about righteousness on God's part, it's talking about righteousness on our part and it's through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But now... The righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. Now, can can you write in your Bible? I write in my Bible. I make marks in my Bible all the time. If you've got a Bible that you don't want to to mark in, that's fine. Put it someplace and, and, and cherish it. But buy you a Bible that you can write in that you can make little notes. This will help you immeasurably. If you will put a parenthesis before the word for, see there in verse 22 it says, to all and on all who believe. Put a parenthesis before the word for and then drop down to verse 23 and put a closing parenthesis after the glory of God. That will help you understand this verse a whole lot. Because what is in parentheses is, is what we call a parenthetical thought and it adds to the verse but it's, a, but it's, a, but it's in parentheses by, by the way it's expressed. And let's hook up believe with verse 24. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption 
that is in Christ Jesus. Now, the reason I separate that is because we've taken verse 23 out of its setting very often, and ever, you know, most people who've come from a Bible background or a church background know this verse, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we use that verse to emphasize man's sinfulness. But the whole passage is emphasizing God's answer for man's sinfulness, which is his right standing with him, his righteousness. And the reason he's put for all have sinned and and fall short of the glory of God is because he's saying there is no difference between people. He says the righteousness of God, right standing with God. Now listen, before we leave today, get this. Verse 22, right standing with God comes through faith in Jesus Christ and it's to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But all of those are being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. When you get an understanding of the fact that when you were born again, when God recreated you, you became a brand new person and your past evaporated. All that you did before you came to Christ, all of the wrongs, all of the sins, it says, and we'll look at this next time, that if any, this is in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away and all things have become new. All your life, your past life, it all passed away. What do we say when people die? We say, he passed away. What does that mean? He's gone. He passed away, he's gone. Well, your, your past life passed away. It's gone, it's gone. Because if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things passed away, but what's this new creation? All things in this new creation are made new. When you were born again, God created a brand new you. On the inside, and you don't look any different on the outside, but on the inside, there's a new man in there. And the man on the inside that was recreated in Christ is not even related to the old man. There is absolutely no connection between the two. There's not a little string that stretches through eternity and connects. There's nothing. There is no connection. The old man died. The old you died. The old you passed away. It's gone. Where did it go? It went in that sea of forgetfulness where God puts all of our sins and he says, I will remember them no more. That's where your old man went. He is never coming back. I said, he's never coming back. Now, if that's true and you're a new creation in Christ, then what kind of past do you have? You're just like Adam in the beginning when his eyes opened, he saw God and there was nothing between him and God. That is called right standing. And and Romans is telling us 
that in the gospel, there's a revelation of man's way of right standing before him. And it comes by God's righteousness imparted to a person who believes in faith, in, in, who believes in faith in Christ Jesus. And it's to all and on all who believe for there is no difference. Listen, you're not any different than anybody else. You're not, you're not more deserving or less deserving. You're not more deserving or less deserving of judgment. You're not more deserving or less deserving of God's blessing. God's favor came on all of us equally when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. We were made into a new person and that new person is standing facing God with no past, nothing to be embarrassed about, nothing to be tongue-tied over, nothing to be fearful over, no condemnation, no sense of guilt, nothing to say, oh, if I can just get somebody else to pray. No, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man, that would be you. That would be you. If you're a Christian, if you're born again, punch your neighbor and say, he's talking about me. That righteous man you say, I don't know how that could be. Look at, look, at, look at Elijah. How could that be? I said, how could that be? Elijah wasn't perfect, but he had faith in God. He was looking to God for his righteousness, not looking to himself. If you keep your eyes on yourself, if you keep your eyes on yourself, it'll keep you out of God's presence. It'll cause you to hesitate when you come before him. It'll cause you to, be, to, to think, well, I, I don't know if God will answer my prayer. I need to get somebody to help me. Now listen, the Bible teaches praying for one another, but not for that reason. Not for, not for, a re, not for the reason that you can't get God's favor in your behalf. We're to pray for one another because we're supposed to love one another. But that, but that does, that's comes from a different motivation entirely. Oh, glory to God. When you get a hold of the truth that in salvation, God made you righteous. Now that's, that's not, now there is conduct associated with righteousness and our conduct should reflect that. And, and there is a growing and maturing in, in righteousness. There is a, a maturing in our walk with God. There, the Bible talks about the fruits of righteousness. There are fruit that result from our right standing with God, and that is produced over time. Can I give you one more scripture before we go? One more scripture. Turn to Romans 5. Hallelujah. Romans 5. Look at verse 17. For if by one man's offense, let's talk about Adam, death reigned through that one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Notice it calls righteousness here a gift, the gift of righteousness. You know, if you if you receive anything on the basis of merit, it cannot be considered a gift. 
If anybody gives you something because of something you did or something that you, uh, uh, you know, character trait that you have or something that's about you, then it's not a gift. A gift is something that someone gives you and you don't, you don't, they don't owe it to you. You don't deserve it. It's just a gift. Those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. There are fruit resulting from righteousness. That's something that happens over time. But the gift of righteousness comes at the moment of the new birth. At the very moment you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. At that moment, just like the Bible says you're a brand new person. God creates you a brand new man. And as soon as you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you open your eyes, so to speak, and there God is. And there's nothing but you and God, nothing between you, nothing about your past, nothing about anything you've ever done. Doesn't matter what your family says, doesn't know what other people know about you from school or whatever. He's just, it's just you, there is God. And you have right, it's a gift of right standing. Glory to God. And with that right standing, see, with that right standing, knowing that you have right standing with God, you can go into God's presence anytime. Anytime you can go into God's presence just as if sin had never existed. Just as if there had never, as if there had never been anything in your life because old things are passed away and all things are become new. And you go into God's presence and, and you don't have to go in, you know, telling God how, un- listen, don't, don't go to God telling him how unworthy you are. Don't go to God telling him how, how you don't deserve, you know, for him to, to listen to you. All you're doing is undermining what God did. You're really disagreeing with God because it was God who was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself. You didn't think about it. You didn't think it up. It wasn't your plan. It was his plan. He's the one that declared you righteous. Don't go into his presence declaring you're unrighteous. All you'll do is, 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 is hinder your own prayers. All you'll do is give yourself a, a consciousness of unworthiness and then you won't have confidence that your prayers will be answered. You need to know that you have standing in the, in the presence of God. Oh, glory to God. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Glory, 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 glory. Well, let's stand up. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Every Christian ought to be a a person of tremendous power working in their lives through prayer. There ought to be tremendous power working in our lives all the time as a result of the things that we pray about. Amen. Every one of us should be known for our prayers. Every one of us should be known as a person that when we pray, God answers. You know, there's that... There's that uh, Legendary person, you know, in every church, sister, I've referred to sister holiness, you know. There's always somebody in a church. Everybody thinks, oh, you know, they've got to, like I said, you haven't been home with her. Amen. She's not perfect all the time. 
Brother holiness isn't perfect all the time. But you see, what, what distinguishes brother and sister holiness from you is they believe that God will hear them. They expect God to hear them. And they don't let the things where they slip up and the mistakes they make, they don't let those things stay in their way. When you sin as a Christian, you just simply confess that sin. The Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so your righteousness is right there. And that's what Sister Holiness and Brother Holiness have perfected in their life. They've perfected that whenever they do miss it, they just run to the Lord and say, oh, Lord, forgive me. And he does, and then they don't think about that again. They don't think about that the next day. The next time they go to God, they don't go to God and and start remembering the stuff they did last week and how they said something they shouldn't have said or or acted some way they shouldn't have acted. They don't think about that because they've learned to forget that because God forgot it. And if God forgot it, why do you want to remember it? That's the difference between someone who has a a robust prayer life where God is continually answering their prayer is they simply believe what God said about them. Amen. They have confidence that they have standing before God. And, And every Christian ought to have that same confidence. Every Christian ought to have that same assurance because if it's true for one, it's true for all. Notice, it's on all, to all, and on all who believe. That'd be everybody, wouldn't it? At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.